Well, good morning, Westland College, or Westland University. <laughs> you know, I had a question for Jennifer, and I just want to thank Dr. Lowe and Jennifer and Brad Oliver, my new friend, and all those that are responsible for giving me an opportunity to uh, come here today. I know the Lord spoke to their heart, and so we certainly give him all the praise, honor, and glory, but God is so faithful to have them to hear from him uh, to bring me here to speak to you. But, you know, my question was when they told me that, you know, I could be speaking in between, be speaking to about 3,000 students or so, and I was thinking, I was just reflecting back uh, as to when I was in college. I was thinking, let me see here. This is a Monday morning, and we're at a university, and we've got college students, and I was thinking, how do they get all of these college students to come out on a Monday morning? And then to add to that, it's raining today, but everybody showed up. I tell you, you guys are some faithful students. I'm just going to leave it at that. Amen. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I'm honored. And, you know, I, uh, I just want to say a, a, just a, a quick prayer before I, I begin. Uh, Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to come boldly before your throne of grace. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to be used of you to speak a word in season uh, to all of these um, young people that are here. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you that as I open my mouth, you fill it with what you would have me to say and cause everyone to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I'm wearing, if you notice, I'm wearing my army fatigue. Anybody notice? Hey, I know, right? It's cute. Got it from J. Crew. I love J. Crew. <laughs> I'm going to be stopping in uh, Indianapolis on my way back home. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And um, I missed the 40% off sale, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going anyway, just in case. But, you know, I wore this jacket, first of all, because I, I love, you know, I love this jacket, and it has a hood on it, so it's perfect for rain as well. But the main reason I wore this jacket is because I just wanted to give an example of how, you know, a war is really going on. There's a war going on, and we know about the war that's going on as far as ISIS is concerned, and, you know, there's a, a very real war going on. <laughs> Whether they proclaim it as a war or not, there's a war going on. But you know, even greater than that, there's a war going on for your souls and mine. And when I think about all of you all sitting here today, I have to reflect back to my own personal story. And I've got my husband with me today. I'm so glad. He, he calls himself my armor barrier. And he came with me today, and so by him being here, it also just kind of reminds us both when we come onto a college campus, it reminds us of when we were at Kentucky State University. And Parnell and I, you know, we travel the country now, and we tell our story because, you know, even though when we were around your age, we did not have a revelation of our purpose in life, we did not have a, a revelation of the vision that God had for our life, and so as a result, we were not living our life for Jesus Christ. But now we get an opportunity to come back to, to colleges like this, universities like this. When we were at Kentucky State University, we have to reflect back and say, you know, wow, what if we knew then what we know now? But now we have an opportunity to share with you what we've gone through. Not for the benefit of you going through the same thing, but ideally that you'll say, you know what? I don't want to go through what Sister Angela went through. I don't want to go through what Brother Parnell went through. I'm going to take what they went through, and I'm going to learn from it. It's just like the Word of God. You know, God has given, his, given us his Word in order that we can learn from it. You see, my Bible's been through quite a bit. <laughs> i got to learn, learn, learn. But here's the thing. 
I'm going to share a bit of my story, but before I share my story, and I just want you to know, I'm, I'm not here to, to really stand inside my story, but I'm actually standing on top of my story. You know, people come and they ask me to come and share my experience, share my testimony, if you will, but you can't have a testimony without going through some tests and some trials. And if you don't come out on the other side knowing that God is faithful, knowing that even in the midst of you missing it, God will still turn that thing around for your glory, and instead of you having a breakdown, you get a breakthrough. And so I want to share that, but before I do that, I just look at the parable that Jesus shared in Luke 19. And in Luke 19, um, it says here, and I'm not going to read the, I'm not going to read the whole thing. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to double, double back a little bit because my page flipped and make sure that was indeed Luke 19. Because I know you guys are going to go back to your dorm room and it's raining and everything. You're going to get into the Word of God. And I want you all to say, Angela said it was Luke 19, and it wasn't. But here we are. But in Luke 19, <laughs> I know how it is. But in Luke 19, Luke 19, Jesus tells a parable about the pounds. He tells a parable about he, how he had 10 it says that he had a nobleman. He loves to tell parables to help us to get an idea of what he wants to get across to us. And it says he had two, no it was, he was a nobleman and he was going away to a far country. And so he had 10 servants and he delivered them to each of them one pound. And when he delivered them one pound, that one pound, you know, it, it, it looked as if it was about money, but it really wasn't about money. It was about each person's life. And so he had 10 servants. He gave each of them one pound. Each of them was given a life to live. And he said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away. I'm going to be gone for a long time. This noble man, I'm going to be gone for a long time, but I'm going to come back one day. I want to see what you're going to do with the pound that I gave you, the one pound that I gave you. In other words, the one life that I've given you to live, what are you going to do with it? And so when he came back, Interestingly enough, he went to the servants, and he called the servants to himself, actually. And for the first servant, he, he, he went to him, and he gave him one pound. And guess what? He said, now, before this, he told them, I want you to occupy until I come. In other words, do business until I come. And he gave him one pound, and the servant, the first servant said, you gave me one, and now I have gotten ten now, that, now, any businessman knows now, hey, we got a good return on our investment. You gave me one and you came back with 10? I gave you one and you, gave back, you came back with 10 as an investment? That's incredible, right? That means that this person, this servant here, was about the, it was about, he was about the nobleman's, nobleman's business. In other words, he was about God's business. He was basically saying, my life is not my own. Whatever it is that you're going to have me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is that you want me to do with my life, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sacrifice everything I need to sacrifice in order to fulfill what you would have me to do. In other words, I'm going to deny myself every day, like you, get, you guys did this morning. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross and follow you. If it's raining outside and I feel like laying in the bed, I'm not going to lay in the bed. I'm going to go to chapel because I know that chapel is a part of me fulfilling my life. This man said, you know what? Even if I'm in a situation where the circumstances are not what I want them to be, instead of compromising and going the way of the world and going the way of what's politically correct and going the way of what may be comfortable and easy, I'm going to go the way of Jesus. I'm 
going to do what the Word of God would tell me to do. This first servant, that's what this first servant did. I'm telling you, he had his face set like a flint. This, this servant here, he knew his purpose. He knew his vision. He knew that even before he was in his mother's womb, God had a plan and a purpose for his life, a vision for his life. Do you realize that when you know that you have a vision and you know you have a purpose, and I believe each of you do, when you know that, do you realize that is the greatest way to bring discipline to your life? Because when everybody else is hanging out or getting high or having sex with somebody that they're not married to, then you've got a vision for yourself and you've got a vision for your life because you know that one day Jesus is coming back and I cannot afford because of the, I'm supposed to occupy until he comes. And I've got this vision and that vision has got my face set like a flint. I've got a purpose and so all of a sudden, it brings discipline. It says without a vision, the people perish. They cast off restraint. If you don't have a vision, young people, you're going to cast off restraint. What does that mean? You're going to do anything with anybody, anytime. You're going to be trying things. You're going to be experimenting with your life. Somebody's got an idea, you'll say, well, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. But when you've got a vision and you know that you're caught with a purpose, you're going to be like that first servant. That first servant that came back to Jesus with 10 pounds. And you say, oh, no. Oh, no. You tell me you love me and you want me to lay down with you and I'm not married to you? Oh, no. <laughs> I got a purpose and I got a vision. <laughs> because, see, <laughs> contrary, <laughs> I didn't have a vision. So this guy over here hoodwinked me. <laughs> like, oh, you called him out like that. I love to. I love to do it. I'm not going to make him stand up. But here's the thing. He's a great guy. He's loving. He's awesome. He, I started dating him when I was 15 years old. He's got the cutest legs you ever want to see, girls. <laughs> the cutest legs. Oh, my goodness. When I saw him walking down the street, <laughs> I think that's a song. <laughs> walking down the street. No, never mind. <laughs> Oh, we're in chapel. Hold on. But we came to get delivered. <laughs> but that's when I was 15. Here this boy is walking down the street. I tell my brother, I said, oh, who is he? He is so fine. My brother says, that's Pernell Mentor. I ain't thinking about him. He and my brother played on the same basketball team. They had gotten into a disagreement, so my brother was not really feeling him. But I was like, this boy is fine. <laughs> And he's a cute dresser. I don't know if they had J. Crew for men back then, but he was cute. He was sharp. But here's the thing. I'm 15. I see this guy. He calls me up one day. I really liked him when I was in the ninth grade, but he wasn't looking at me. I hadn't filled out very much then, girls. So I did not fill the bill. <laughs> but here's the thing. All of a sudden, he noticed me. And he calls me on my phone on my home phone. When he calls me on the home phone, my brother answers the phone. My brother says, no, she's not home. Because when he said, you know, yeah, no, she's not home, I had already said before the, when the phone rang, if it's for me, I'm not at home. I'm coming back to this parable. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> when the phone rang, he says, no, she's not at home. I said, now listen, if it's for me, I'm not at home. Because my brother and I weren't taking care of business during the regular school year, so we had to go to summer school. And in summer school, I had given my number to a guy, and immediately I regretted it. Anybody ever experienced that? 
Don't raise your hands. Might, your guy might be next to you. <laughs> guy might be right next to you. Say, oh, okay, that's how you felt about it. <laughs> I said, hey, if it's for me, I'm not at home. My brother hangs up the phone. He says, I said, who was it? I'm, I'm really not thinking that, you know, certainly it's not this guy. I said, I said, who was it? He said, I was Parnell Mentor. I said, Parnell Mentor? <laughs> I hope I'm not blowing anybody's ear back there with my mic. I said, Parnell Mentor? Why did you tell him I wasn't at home? He said, you said you weren't at home. I said, not for Parnell Mentor, for the guy I gave my number in summer school. So immediately I'm like, let me play this cool. Let me follow up with him. Let me return his call. Now, mind you, I didn't know this guy. I had not had a personal conversation with him. He looked my number up in the phone book. We didn't have those, these five iPhones and, you know, you can get anybody's number anywhere. You can get the whole history, okay? But I said, let me look in the phone book, and I found his number. Mentor on Greenwood. Looked him up. I had to play it cool, though. Can't call back too quickly. Can't return a call too quickly. Can't look desperate. <laughs> Don't look too anxious. There's some standards. What's the protocol? <laughs> Those were the longest 30 minutes of my life. <laughs> I'm like, 30 minutes and I'm done. <laughs> and I was like, okay, no, let me even do it better. I didn't know Jesus back then. I would have used my faith and gone an hour, but I went 35 minutes. <laughs> Caught him up. My father's an attorney, and my father, we had a, a, a family line, we had a kid's line, and we had a regular line in our house. And my father had taught us about how do you have etiquette as far as answering the phone. And so, you know, hey, you were taught, you know, you answered the phone, yes, yes, sir, sure, uh, may I help you? This is the Williams residence, may I take a message, and these sorts of things. So I'm thinking, you know, that's how everyone basically answers the phone. I call this guy's phone, and I say, you know, I just ring, ring. I'm thinking he's going to say hello. Uh, he answers the phone, yeah. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, maybe I missed it. <laughs> I said, may I speak to Parnell Mentor, please? He said, yeah, this is him. I said, oh, it's getting better. It's getting better. I said, well, this is Angela Williams. I was just returning your call. <laughs> like I'm in the law office, right? The rest is history. I fell, I fell, I fell hook, hook, line, and sinker in love with him. My parents were divorced. I was a jacked-up kid. I had so many problems. It would just make your head spin. We don't have enough time to even go through it all. But I'm going to tell you this. God used this young man because he was a Christian. Now, granted, he, he needed some uh, revelation. <laughs> okay, he was carnal. <laughs> okay. Somebody's like, what's carnal? That's basically you're saved and living like the world in some areas, especially the area of sex. Why do I say that? And somebody might be thinking, whoo, she's throwing him under the bus. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he throws me under the bus every time. <laughs> When he starts getting up here saying this, he can throw me under the bus and talk about how I chased him. But anyway, actually he chased me because the Word of God says when a man finds a woman, he finds a good thing. Or actually he says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Parnell and I got together, and here's the thing. No vision, no purpose, no direction. We were not like the first servant that took one and what, took his life and gave ten we were not like the one who took his life and gave, came back to Jesus with five. And here the first servant got, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. We, didn't, we weren't that person. We weren't the one that said you took your life and you gave five. You got fives. We weren't that person. We're the one that was, you got your life. 
He came back with the same thing. In other words, what was that? That was the person that lived his life the way he wanted to live his life. You're basically wasting your life. You're doing what you want to do when you want to do it. That's what I was doing because I didn't have a revelation of my purpose and my vision. I was living my life the way I wanted to live it. And so Parnell and I fell in love. He's a great guy. My mother had taught me you don't have sex with anyone unless you love them. Now, she could only go with the revelation that she had. She didn't know. She didn't know the scripture then in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 and 19. Flee fornication. Every sin that a, that a person doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. She didn't know, verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is, uh, which is in you, which you have of God? Ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit with your gods. She didn't know that my body wasn't my own, and so therefore I couldn't determine that even when I fall in love with somebody, I could have sex with them. I was in love with Parnell. Parnell was in love with me, but we were not married, but we did have sex with one another. And guess what? By the time we were 17 and 18 years old, I was paying money. We were paying money to an abortionist to kill our first baby. By the time we were 17 and 18 years old, we actually went to the end of Broadway in our city in Louisville, Kentucky, and we paid an abortion doctor hundreds of dollars. I was very far along. I was probably one of those 52,000 women that have abortions, pay money for their babies to be killed at the 16th and the 20th week of pregnancy. I was probably one of the women one of the 13,000 women out of the 1.2 million babies that are killed every day in the United States on the altar of choice and inconvenience. I was probably one of those young women that the th out of the 13,000 or the 13,000 that actually killed their babies in the 21st week. I love Parnell. He loved me. But we had a life that was given to us by, by Jesus Christ. But we were perishing for lack of knowledge because I didn't have that revelation. He didn't have that revelation in 2 Corinthians 16. Or 2 Corinthians 6 that says, my life's not my own. I've been bought with a price. And even though I didn't know Jesus Christ, I was still bought with a price. I was, I was created in the image of God. He had a purpose and a plan for my life. My life was not my own. Here's the thing. If you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll actually find it. And I'm telling you what, I have found my life now, you guys, and I'm having a good time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you something. When Parnell and I were in high school and we were paying money for our babies to be killed like that, guess what? We went away to college and we didn't change anything that we were doing. We had not begun to think differently about having sex without being married. We didn't think differently about sacrificing our babies on the altar of choice and inconvenience. They didn't have these morning after pills that girls are popping like gum now. If they did, God only knows how many morning after pills I would have taken. The morning after. So here's the thing. We go off to college. We go to Kentucky State University, and we hadn't changed anything about our lifestyle. So we would continue to do the same thing, perishing for a lack of knowledge, no vision, no purpose. Remember, when you have a purpose, when you know your purpose, when you have your vision, you got your face lit like a flint, and when somebody's saying to you, listen, let's do this, 
And you're saying, oh, no, I got a purpose, and that doesn't line up with my purpose and my vision. My face is set like a flint. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price, and I'm taking up my cross. I'm denying myself. I don't walk about my feelings. I walk by faith in Jesus Christ, and he's going to give me the grace to live the life he's given me to live, and I'm going to be a glory to him. Got to college. Within the first year, I'm pregnant again. At this point, I'm a political science major. My father's a politician as well. So, you know, I'm going to follow in my father's footsteps, you know, become an attorney, become a politician. He was the president of the NAACP, which is, you know, advocates for civil rights. And I'm going to tell you something. The greatest civil right of our day is abortion. Why would I say that? The greatest civil right of our day is abortion. Why would I say that? Because it's about life. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. I have a dream that you'll be judged not by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. But here's the thing. How can we live the dream if we keep killing our seed? We can't do it. And if you deny justice anywhere, he said, you're going to deny justice everywhere. So we're denying justice. And interestingly enough, our babies, one, we've named justice. Because even though the Supreme Court said that it's right and it's legal to pay money for your babies to be killed, throughout all nine months here in the United States, they got it wrong in 1973 when they legalized abortion on demand. And they got it wrong in 1857 when they said black folks were not human beings. Do I look pretty human to you? <laughs> even with my army fatigue? 1857, they said, Dred Scott, you're not a human being. You can't even appeal your case. You can't even come to court and appeal your case. You're not a human being. They got it wrong in 1857, and they got it wrong in 1973. And I'm going to tell you something. For every born-again Christian and for those who don't even are not born-again Christians, here is the truth. We got a Supreme Court that's higher than the Supreme Court of this country, and that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, I got a plan and a purpose for every life. Every one of you in this room, God's got a plan and a purpose for you. Parnell and I, when we went to Kentucky State and we're getting ready to kill our third baby, God had a plan and a purpose for our life. We're getting ready to sacrifice our third baby, and guess what happened? Somebody betrayed my confidence. Somebody told my father that I was pregnant, and the next thing you know, my father's calling me in my dorm room, and Parnell doesn't like me to always tell, you know, some of this part of the stories, but I, I always have to tell this one. Here's the thing. My father finds out I'm pregnant. He calls me in my dorm room. We had already been to the abortion mill. We needed to raise more money, so we went back to college, and we went about raising more money. Father calls me in my dorm room. Back then, it wasn't a, a, we didn't have uh, the, the iPhone, so my phone was right there on the wall next to my dorm door. Now, you know that would be a hookup today, right? We're right there. My dorm door is right there. The phone rings on the wall. I pick up the phone, and it's my father. He says, I understand you're pregnant. I say, yes, sir. Now, here he, he, he professed to be the most liberal state legislator in the state of Kentucky. Do you know he said out of his mouth, don't kill your baby. Do not kill your baby. He said, now, now mind you, I've been with Parnell since I was 15 years old, and he was 17. He says to me, he says, now, when are you and Parnell going to get married? I said, I'm not ready to get married. Now, we've been professing our undying love for one another since I was 15 and he was 17. We used to fall asleep on the phone. We loved each other so much, we fall asleep on the phone. Next morning, there's still phones up to my ear. That's, I mean, it was just ridiculous. 
I call his house in the middle of the night, his mother answers the phone, I hang up on her. <laughs> Some things you still have to just repent for, right? <laughs> he said, what does Parnell say about this? He said, where is he? Now I want everybody to guess. Where was Parnell? You're living in sin. You're not having any revelation. Where do you think Parnell was? Kyle responded, can you not talk in chapel? <laughs> in my dorm room. Yes. <laughs> we, could, we could not stand the RAs on our day because he was basically living with me. It was ridiculous. One day she found him in my room, and they had such a high respect for my father. They didn't turn me in and send a letter home, but they sent a letter straight to his house. <laughs> he intercepted it, though. He did intercept it. <laughs> he said, what does Parnell say about this? Where is he? I opened up my, I said, he's right here. I opened up my dorm door so quick. I said, my daddy wants to speak to you. <laughs> you know, they're saying again, throw somebody under the bus. I threw him right under the bus. I think that's when it first started. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, whenever Angie wants to. Next thing you know, he's throwing me under the bus. He said, your daddy wants to speak to you. <laughs> he said, my daddy said, now listen, my daddy had our life planned out so quickly to make your head spin. He said, now listen, you need to get married at this time. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to move off campus and on and on and on. This was around August or September. By the time it was December 21st. 1985, Parnell and I got married. I got married, girls, listen to this, almost nine months pregnant, got married in a yellow sweater dress. <laughs> I know it, I know it, I know it, but he since then has given me my own wedding. I had 13 bridesmaids. <laughs> he did, he threw me my own wedding to let everybody know I, that was not a shotgun wedding. I wanted to marry that girl, <laughs> okay? But I got married in a yellow sweater dress. I ran up his credit card to buy all that stuff too. We got married right off the bat wrong, but guess what? God will turn it around for you. We got married December 21st, and January 17th, our first daughter was born. We stopped the generational curses of killing our babies because my mother had had abortions. My father had had abortions. My siblings had had abortions, and everybody kept it a secret. In but at that time, I had my baby. Parnell and I never killed another baby. Now our daughter, Ryan, is 28 years old. She's in college in, in Louisville, Kentucky. She's in the nursing program. Then Parnell and I had two sons after that, Isaiah and Parnell. One of them's in undergrad school in Atlanta going to college. The other's going to college in, uh, in Washington, D.C. He did his undergrad in Atlanta. Then he's, now he's in Washington, D.C. He's uh, working on his Ph.D. He's going to be a, a Christian psychologist. And we stopped killing our babies. But you know what? After that, my eyes really didn't open to what I was doing. But then, 22 years ago, 22 years ago, or actually in 2004, it had been 22 years. In 2004, God opened up my eyes, and he showed me that I was living like the servant with one life, and I was doing what I wanted to do with it. I was squandering my life. He opened up my eyes and showed me, I got a purpose and a plan for your life. He opened up my eyes and showed me that I had sacrificed two of my babies. I had paid money for two of my babies to be killed, and I, did not, I had not repented about it. I had not asked him for forgiveness. 
And so at the very moment that that happened, it was actually at a, at a, at a rally at the Capitol building in Frankfort, Kentucky. I went, to, I went there to support my pastor. And when I got there, God had, a, God had a, a, a meeting with my destiny right there. He opened up my eyes and he said, you, you've paid money for your baby to be killed. I need you to deal with this. I need you to acknowledge it. I felt like I can honestly say, you guys, I felt like I was going to throw up. I felt like it happened right before my eyes, that my babies were being killed right before my eyes. I began to get nauseated. I began to pray and ask the Lord, please just cause me to get to the bathroom. Do not let me have a nervous breakdown right here in the midst of all these people. Please. At that point, I had already been having depression in my life. I had already had three suicide attempts, and nobody had ever told me that when you have an abortion, you make yourself at higher risk. If you have a history of, 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 of uh, depression in your family, if you have a history of mental illness, then you may be at high risk if you go in there and have an abortion. Nobody told me. Nobody educated me. We perished for lack of knowledge. Maybe I would have thought twice about that. I never connected the fact that I was depressed and, and, and wanting to take my life from the fact that I had sacrificed two of my babies and never dealt with it. It was stuffed. He opened up my eyes. I made it back to Louisville, Kentucky. I left that event, made it back to Louisville, Kentucky, rented repent before my pastor, and I told my pastor what I had done. My pastor said, Angie, Jesus didn't just pay for your sins, but he bore your griefs and he carried your sorrows so that you don't have to. And as a result, he said, you don't have to walk out of here with that. I said, well, pastor, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel forgiven, but I receive it by faith. I received that I was forgiven. I received it by faith. I didn't bear that grief and carry that sorrow, but he didn't leave it right there. He was just like Jesus telling me, I've given you a life and I want you to do something with it. God used my pastor to educate me about abortion. And then he suggested to me, why don't you begin to do radio? Why don't you go on the radio and share your story? I started doing radio in 2004. You never tell a pastor you'll do whatever they want you to do. I started sharing my story in 2004. I've been on the radio ever since. After that, the Lord told me, Angie, you got a career, but I'm calling you out for that career. That was in 2006. I'm saying, what are you talking about, Lord? I'm, I'm, I'm in a career. I've got a 401k. I've got a pension plan. My health insurance is taken out of my payroll deduct. I can't possibly leave my job. I've been there for almost 20 years. I've made history with that company. I was the leading sales rep in the company for, as an African-American. I can't leave my job. These are my friends. They're like family. God reminded me, I've given you one life, one pound. He called me off that job in 2006. Parnell agreed to do it. When Parnell agreed, that, agreed to do that, agreed to allow me to leave my job, we started doing full-time ministry. After we started doing full-time ministry, I started going to the sidewalk, doing a sidewalk counseling. And I see young people just like you coming every day, like they're going to an outing. And I want to tell you something. Don't, do not, do not forget that you've been bought with a price. Do not forget that God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, a beautiful, awesome plan for your life. Are you going to be the one that takes their life and says, guess what? I want Jesus to say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. To God be the glory great things he has done. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for sharing your story and Parnell for being here today. As you go today, remember 
the love that God has for you and the purpose that he has for your life. And if you need any um, help in finding out what that is, there are a lot of people here on campus who would love to help you with that. Go in peace.